We now invite our children, kindergarten through second grade, to be dismissed for children's worship. And as our children leave, uh, let, let us bow together and pray. We pray that as the children leave, that the childlike wonder of the mystery of this gospel would not leave, but would remain and animate us to think together openly and guided by your spirit to hear something that will help us survey this wondrous cross and appropriate it more fully into who we are. May we truly leave everything behind but this one important thing to consider the message and meaning and mystery of this cross. Thank you for moments like this to think together. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Long before Walt Disney ever got a hold of it, there was a children's story that told a universal tale. It was a story of a young girl named Beauty who in tender love kisses the beast, this half man, half animal. The kiss represents love, unconditional love. Despite what he looks like, despite how he's acted, this kiss of love is what breaks the spell. And the beast becomes the prince that he once was and was always meant to be. And we learn, in fact, that the prince had been put under a curse because of his own selfish, self-centered kind of life. A curse that could only be broken by love. Only broken by love. I want to suggest this morning that this story mirrors the biblical story. And perhaps provides a helpful framework for us to survey the cross of Jesus. Because the reality is that we as human beings do seem to be cursed. Trapped. Because of our selfishness and our sense of scarcity in the world. We're stuck. Half human, half beast. And yet, despite our ugliness... Beauty comes to us, embodied as Jesus on the cross. This one sees beyond the dangerous and repulsive appearances of beasts like you and me and loves what's inside of us, sees it and loves it, and takes what we might call a preemptive first strike of grace. I know we've heard in military about preemptive first strikes usually having to do with bombs. Hit them before they hit you. Here is a preemptive strike of grace. He's being nailed to a cross. And he says of his executioners, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. How does one do that? How does one turn to a criminal who deserves what he's getting and say to him, Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Long before he had ever done anything right or gotten baptized or 
played in the handbell choir or prayed the sinner's prayer. Here is love made flesh saying to one who is being crucified alongside him, you'll be with me. We're connected. He kisses the beast. Some have referred to what Jesus does as an asymmetrical response. Asymmetrical. Rather than a balanced, you do this, I'll do it back to you. Jesus takes this preemptive first strike and gives love for free. It's a gift. Paul says it this way. God commended God's love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And we remind ourselves of this all the time when we dedicate babies in this space. We say to each other, before we loved God, what? God loved us. God loved us before we loved God. It's a preemptive first strike. And on the cross, Jesus embodies this. He kisses the beast. He dies to embody this divine love and to break the curse. And when people survey the wondrous cross, when they experience, not just analyze it, but experience it as God's preemptive love, it breaks the curse within us. That curse of scarcity that says there's not enough, I'm not enough, I must compete and win and conquer in order to validate my worth. It silences those voices And heals and liberates us from those places that say, you have to earn your worth. You have to earn your right to be here. You have to earn your right to happiness. And what as a church we've said is that this love is transforming. God's transforming love. It changes the motherboard of your life. It changes how you think, how you do, how you are. And before you even really notice it, the beast is turned into a prince or a princess again. You've become who God dreamed you to be on the day that you were born. Only now, now you're committed to joining with beauty and kiss the world clean With this abounding, abundant love. Well, I said that all so nicely. And it sounds all so uh, plausible on a Sunday morning when we're gathered in a place like this. But I'm not naive to the fact that there are a lot of beasts out there. It would require a whole lot of kissing. Out there, among us, within us, people are stuck. Sometimes we're stuck. As if we've been cursed to completely uh, repeat the events of the past and to live out of fear and shame and scarcity. When this is present in individuals that looks like greed, it looks like selfishness, anger, hatefulness, pettiness, vengefulness. But when it happens among a people, it even gets uglier. Xenophobia, fear of the stranger, racism, 
Continuing to perpetuate myths about people of other races that are not only untrue, they, 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 they demean us. They dehumanize us. Globally, this causes all kinds of thefts and wars and a, a culture and, and a world that is always on edge. And if, you don't, if we've never known it to be true, surely in this election cycle, we see the effects of scarcity being played out every single day. There are way too many beasts out there. Surely there's another way. There's a more efficient way. Does Jesus' way even work? Does love win? We're asked that all the time. Does love win? And all I can say is it depends on who's keeping score. And it depends on how you define winning. In the culture that we've been raised in, we were told that winning has to do with dominating, with conquering, with coming out on top, with being number one. Even if you have to cheat, And betray others and even kill someone. If that's the definition of winning. Then love does not win. Love cannot win. Love will not play that game. But what if that's not the game really? What if that's not the game? What if winning. Is being so at peace with God. So connected to God. By love that comes to us as gift. We find ourselves so connected to God and ourselves. That we find ourselves able to be connected to others. So confident are we in this love. We're not threatened by others. We don't even feel separated from others. We feel at one with others. So, Father, forgive them. They're they're my people. God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. To the thief, today you'll be with me in paradise. We're connected. This is important. This is what love looks like. Love wins if love is about being able to say no matter the circumstances. Even hanging on a cross, I can find paradise. And I can invite others into it because it's real. There is a way that we win that doesn't have to do with dominating others, but being one with others and one with God. Being exactly where we're called and needed to be. To bring harmony and hope to a world. This is when love wins. There's a 1950 cowboy western, black and white, titled Stars in My Crown. It was one of those many movies, kind of feel-good movies that came out some years ago that uh, continued to make white people look more dominant than black people, uh, continued to uh, perpetuate myths that we've lived by as a culture. But beneath all of that, there's this poignant story. It's the story of an old African-American man who lived on a small parcel of land where he did subsistence farming. He and his family had a little shack, a little cabin on the land, raised his children in the place, had a happy life, 
lived a good life with the neighbors, got along with the neighbors okay, got along especially with the neighbors' children. The boys in the neighborhood would come to him and befriend him. He would help them, teach them about farming techniques. They got along well. Until the day it was discovered that his property had uranium on it. Well, everyone wanted a piece of that property. Oh, man, they said, sell us your property. No, sir, he said, I don't think I will. He said, this has been my home. It's where I raised my family. It's where my memories are. I really don't care about money. I'll keep the property. No, sir, you need to sell us this property. They insisted, and they began to get mad. And these folks who had been his friends suddenly found themselves wanting to be aggressive with this old man. They demanded that he sell. And when he refused... One night, his barn caught fire and burnt to the ground. Was the message received? Apparently not. So the next week, all of his crops were destroyed. Finally, they approached him. Their white sheets over their heads, their hoods didn't cover who they were. He knew who they were. They were the boys he had helped raise. But they came to him and said, You've got until tomorrow to get off this property. If you're, not, if you're here when we come back tomorrow, we're going to kill you. We're going to lynch you. And sure enough, the next day, when they rode up on their horses, their torches blazing, they had a noose with them. The old man met, met them on his front porch, and he said to them, I'm ready to die. But before... You all take my life. I would like to read my last will and testament that I've written up last night. They stood while he read. First, I want to give my fishing poles to Andy. Andy, you know where all the good fishing holes are. And you'll remember all the good times we had together with these fishing poles. I want to give these poles to you. Fred, I want you to have my mule You know how this mule works. You know what she likes and what she doesn't. You take good care of her. And Bucky said, I want you to have my saddle. It doesn't doesn't have much worth, but it's broken in. And you've seen me break many a good horse with this saddle. And something happened. The curse was broken. Someone had kissed the beast. An asymmetrical response. And they turned and left in shame. Shamed out of their inhumanity by this one who had remained human, loving, Christ-like. This is how love wins. Love doesn't win by conquering. That's our definition of winning. Love wins by healing, by restoring. It's the only way to win, in fact. There's no other way. People ask, is there another way? There's not. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father. You don't get into this relationship of healing and liberation except by this way, this way of love. The only way to win is to go this way. There is no other way. You cannot defeat the beast by becoming a beast. All that does is make more beasts. The only way to win is to transform the beast, to kiss the beast, 
by embodying love. When I was in college, I made weekend money by preaching at churches on Sundays. I preached at some 25 different churches uh, on on the the weekends. Actually, I I preached one sermon 25 times. (laughs) I kind of wish you could see me, but I kind of am glad you can't. In my polyester leisure suit and my long hair and my crustache, and I was uh, quite the preacher boy. I had a story I told. I don't know where I got it, but it seemed dramatic, and so I told it. It's a story of a group of boys. I guess I identified with them because they were troublemakers. They were going across the, the county just wreaking havoc, breaking things, making fun of people, just being mean. They came upon a little country church, a Catholic church, and they noticed that the people were lined up to go inside. They realized they were lined up for confession, and a couple of the boys dared the, 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 the toughest one in the group. We dare you to go get in line and go see the priest. He said, doesn't mean anything to me, and he got in the line. And when his term came, he spoke to the priest, asked him, well, how can I, how can I care for you today? The boy said, I don't care anything about this. I don't need you. I don't need the church. I could care less. My friends dared me to do this. So, ha, bye. As he got up to leave, the priest said, well, you took their dare. Let me give you a dare. I dare you to go into the sanctuary and look at Jesus hanging on the cross and say to that cross, Jesus Christ died for me and I couldn't care less. Doesn't mean a thing to me, said the boy. He marches into the sanctuary, looks up at the cross and says, Jesus Christ died for me and I couldn't care less. He turns to leave and the priest says, oh, do it, do it again. Jesus Christ died for me, he said, and I couldn't care less. One more time, said the priest. This time when the boy looked up at the crucifix, he saw the face of Jesus for the first time looking back at him. He said, Jesus Christ died for me. And that's all that would come out. Now can we talk, said the priest. Well, I told that story to invite people to care about Jesus and give their life to Jesus. But I got to tell you, there's a part of me that really didn't even know what that story meant. Years later, I would be a pastor. And in the last church I served on Good Friday, we would drape the cross in the middle of the room in black, and we would black out all the windows so it was utterly dark in this room except for one spotlight on the cross. And we would hold a vigil on Good Friday from noon to 3, the the times that Jesus hung on the cross. We would invite, the church would be open, and people would come and go and have times of meditation. But as the pastor, I was there from... 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock in this room with no chairs, just sitting, looking at a cross and meditating on Jesus dying for the sins of the world and wondering, what what does this mean? How does Jesus dying help me? Maybe you're there. Maybe you've wondered. What, What is this? 
My answer for today is this. He's kissing the beast in me and in you and in all the world. And he's breaking the curse and he's showing us the way to live. And you'll know that the curse is broken in you. When with joy and gladness and out of all the natural orientation of who you've now become, you join beauty and embody God's transforming love for the world. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. This life of faith is a journey, O God, which is why your son Jesus told us, I am the way. As years pile upon years, teach us the mysteries and mercies of this cross, not simply for our own edification, but for the healing of the nations. Like Mary long ago, we say, Lord, let it be. In your holy name we pray, amen.